0: Hey, I'm Jesse. As we continue to recap some of these mountaintop moments in 1 Corinthians, like looking back on them, having completed the book, we have a greater appreciation for some of the stuff that Paul was building up to. It's like watching a movie for the second time through. Now you kind of get it on the second viewing. In chapter five, uh, we have this church discipline model that had been utterly abdicated he calls them to exercise church discipline. He reminds them in verses one through five, they've got this one brother who's acting very, very immorally. And then in verses nine through 13, he implores them to use church discipline, all right? And in the middle of those two, in verse, beginning in verse six, he warns them, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough, just like a little bit of yeast causes the whole loaf to rise? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Remember their instructions for the Passover was to bring unleavened bread, meaning it had no yeast in it. Therefore, let us observe the feast not with old leaven or with a leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity. And truth, he's warning them about how they, as they allow this hypocrisy to just go on within their church, never practicing church discipline at all, that they're all being brought down by the hypocrisy of it. This bears a, a consistent theme into chapter six, whereupon he's going to call them out. Don't be deceived. Sexually, the sexually immoral people, people who just live on in sexual morality and live on in idol and uh, idolatry, people who live on in the homosexual lifestyle it's one that he named specifically in chapter 6 verses 9 through 11. People who continually are drunkards without ever repenting and they continue swindling and they never actually get an honest deal. They never actually make an honest deal in their lives. They continue in, in this kind of lifestyle. They're not saved. That's the old you. That's who you used to be. But that's not who you are anymore. Chapter six, verses nine through 11, man, you've been washed, you've been justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. It changes everything. So stop suing each other. Chapter six, verses one through, uh, chapter six, verses one through 11, all right? That's uh, you used to be like this, or sorry, stop suing each other. It's really chapter, uh, chapter six, verses one through six. And then he goes on to remind them about these things they used to be like. This is who you used to be. So don't let this stuff subsist in your church life. Now on that, I wanna, I wanna remind us of something that's very, very critical. Church discipline is important, all right? It is important, but I see it botched, I think more often than I see it used correctly. It's very rare to see all three steps of Matthew 18 observed properly, but it's really common to see lives ruined by stupid Christians who utterly botch the very simple three-step process here. So I think it's worth recapping. I'm, I've seriously considered writing a semi-angry book on this. Maybe I'm not the one to write it. Maybe somebody who hasn't been burned by this personally in the past is better to write it, or maybe I'm the perfect guy to write it. I don't know, but what I know is this. You go one-on-one first. If you haven't gone one-on-one, you're doing it wrong, Joe. And by by the way, one-on-one does not mean like you text him once, give him 30 seconds to respond. Oh, he didn't respond. Time to tweet about it. You no, know, you go one-on-one, and it doesn't have to be one conversation, by the way. You go one-on-one until you have adequately one-on-one confronted the sin. This could be multiple face-to-face conversations in which this guy has repeatedly denied his sin in any regard. And then, and only then, do you bring other people in. And by the way, it's only two people will suffice, maybe three. And so now you've got three to four people confronting somebody who is in flagrant sin and has denied that he's done anything sinful at all. And then if he still denies that he's sinful, by the way, in preparation for all this, you and the witnesses involved, you gotta take the plank out of your eye. Make sure that you're not guilty of some flagrant sin too. And then you can see clearly. Okay, if you've gone to step two before you've completed step one, you're doing it wrong, Joe. And then after confronting this guy, if he still doesn't say, you know what? I've, I've con- I, I confess it, I've sinned, guys. I've messed up. If he still doesn't, confess and repent, then you bring them before the larger body of believers. First Timothy chapter four would would seem to indicate this, in this case of a pastor, you bring them before the whole church congregation, the whole body of believers. But a larger gathering of believers is what the language would indicate for anybody who's been confronted one-on-one first and is still like, nope, I'm gonna keep on doing it and I'm gonna keep on staying in the church, such as the man in chapter five. And then step two is, a, is two or three witnesses, so you got a three to four people max Okay, that means that Twitter's not involved. Instagram's not involved. There's not a word about this on any kind of blog anywhere. And it's just YouTube. And by the way, if at step one or step two, this brother or sister in Christ says, you know what, let me check my heart. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go before the Lord with this. I think you're right. You brought a biblical case. I know that you're not personally struggling with the thing that you're confronting me about. And so let me pray about this. Okay, time out, because the Lord's working on his heart. The objective here is for the brother to be restored. If you're going at it because you're hungry for a lynching, God's gonna discipline you. That's Matthew chapter seven. The very standard that you use to, me- to discipline, judge somebody else, it's gonna be used to judge you. So watch out, okay? If you're a Christian blogger and you disparage people that you have nothing to do with, you're not in their church, you have no 1st hand information, God hates your blog. blog is sowing division in God's church. It's one of the things that God finds detestable. God hates your stupid blog. This is so simple. I cannot believe I have to recap this over and over again, but I've never, I've seen it done poorly more than I've seen it done right. After step two, if he still doesn't confess, still doesn't repent, then you bring him before the larger body. And if you've got somebody who's standing down a crowd, whether it's the whole church or even just a small group and saying like, nope, you're all wrong. See the example in chapter five. I'm going to keep on sleeping with my stepmom and you're all stupid. Okay. At that point, we can safely say this guy's not saved. But guess what Paul's motivation was in chapter five. According to verse five, he said, look, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is consistent with what Paul writes in Galatians as well. The hope is that this brother would be restored gently. In no case is there a public lynching. And if any step of the way, the sinner confesses, the process is done because the process has reached its successful conclusion that the sinner has repented. That's the objective. And if they've repented, guess what? They're restored. They're restored. That was the goal all along. And so if they repent from sin, they are restored. So Paul is rebuking them for their abdication of church discipline in chapter five. In chapter six, evidently, instead of using church discipline, they were resorting to the court system and just suing each other. And he reminds them, that's not who you are anymore. That's your immoral selves. And those who are unrighteous, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. That's who you used to be. But now you've been washed, justified, and sanctified by the spirit of our God. And when he lists some of these specific sins in chapter, in chapter six, verses nine through 11, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. He's listing out common practices throughout Corinth in the day. And then he follows it up with chapter seven, which is the most incredible description of like how sexual intimacy is supposed to work like written anywhere. It's the, it's the most amazing model for sexuality that, and it actually works. It's, it's really beautiful to behold. But in, in chapters five and six, calls them out for their boasting, for their arrogance. You've allowed this hypocrisy to just subsist. You haven't resorted to church discipline at all, and that's affecting everybody. And then in chapter six, he reminds them, look, instead of suing each other and abdicating church discipline, like why don't you come back to who you actually are? washed justified and sanctified that's who you are paul says to the warring church at corinth that refused even to exercise church discipline